0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Essential. If you're a guest of ours, my name is Craig. And I really love the song that we uh, sang just a moment ago. In fact, I love it so much. I remember that we sang it first in this church on October the 4th, 2015. Now, some people say, hey, never argue with my memory. And that would be true. I think I've got a pretty good memory. But the reason I remember it is that was the Sunday we first used the big screen. So, uh, and we, we sang that song, and I've loved it ever since, because it just speaks of a kingdom work. And I think that all too often, we can get wrapped up, can't we, in what we believe God is saying to us, or what God is saying to me. And what I love about that song is it ties us into a bigger reality that God is at work in the world, and He wants to do His work in the world through each and every one of us. And we're celebrating that fact today. It's really good to know, isn't it, that long before we were awake, Pastor Micah was speaking, and there he is baptizing at one of 12 people in the waters of a river that runs straight through Phnom Penh. This is Micah. He looks like a hippie in those days, doesn't he? I'll be glad when it's spring, he'll shave that beard then, I think, but... Uh... And uh, you see that uh, there's another one there, 12 people responded to their gospel and uh, were baptized and we celebrate the fact that it really, is, <clears throat> it really is about the kingdom of God and people just saying, God, here I am, use me, change me, continue to work through me. And it's really with that goal and the intention that I began this series called 21 Again. This idea that when a person turns 21, all of a sudden the focus isn't so much on the upright, but the outright. You've been given a freedom. So live in that freedom responsibly. And so we started in a few weeks ago with Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and 16, and then James Ellis. Didn't James do a great job last week? Um, he, He was great. And uh, thankful for James, he picked up on verse 16, and today I want to pick up on verses 17 through 20. So if you have a Bible, please turn there to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at three verses today, verses 17 through 20. Now if you haven't got a copy of the Scriptures, you know the routine, if you're a regular of us, you can just raise your hands in the air, and our ushers will be delighted to give you a copy of the Scriptures. And once you have the Scriptures in your hand, you can turn to page 1,176. Again, if you need a copy of Scriptures, just raise your hands in the air as we dig through this text. Now, we started in week number one with verses 15 and 16 with a reminder to be very careful how we live. And our motivation for that is because the days are evil. But we are very careful how we live, not because we're afraid of evil, but because we have been assured of the power of good of God. God has called his people to be careful in the way they live, because we are to be a force for good and for God in the world. And that is shown through wisdom. So, with that in mind, look at the first word of verse 17. It says, therefore. And again, whenever you see a therefore, you remember what it's there for. In light of what Paul has said in verses 15 and 16 about living responsibly, about thinking responsibly, therefore, he says, and then the rest of the verse goes on, don't be foolish. Ties back to wisdom again. The Holy Spirit, with whom we have been filled, fills us with wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is obedient, obedience. At the end of 2017, our behavior will reveal whether we have been wise with the opportunities God has given us or not. Wisdom. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the lord's will is don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit speaking to one another with psalms with hymns and songs from the spirit sing and make music from your heart to the lord always giving thanks to god the father for everything in the name of our lord jesus christ don't be foolish Paul says. In light of the fact that God wants you to make the most of every opportunity, every kairos moment, don't be foolish. But, Paul says, understand what the Lord's will is. If we are to take hold of the opportunities that 2017 brings us, it demands that we understand the Lord's will. What is God's will for you? All too often when we think about the Lord's will, we misunderstand what Paul is saying here. You see, in the Greek as you look at this, there is no definite article before the word will. It is not the will of the Lord, it is a will of the Lord. That's so important, because some of the most frustrating believers that I spend my time with are those believers who are waiting for the will of the Lord. If we are to make the most of every opportunity, we need to read the Scriptures properly. We are not to wait for a special word in a special season for a special reason. We are to do God's will every day and in every way. And some of the most disconnected believers are the ones who have been praying and praying and praying for a special revelation when, in fact, what they need to be doing is praying every day, to serve God in every way. Now please, don't misunderstand me. I do believe that God speaks special words in special seasons for special reasons. Some of you who were in Central when I was called here two years ago will remember me telling you a story about how God affirmed the call to Central through the way that he worked in our children's lives. One of the challenges that we had in accepting the call to move from Tampa to, uh, to uh, Holland was our son, Alec, was a junior, and moving a junior in high school is a difficult thing to do. Any of you who have moved around with children, if you've been in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a major concern that parents have. But Bipkin and I really felt this call up north. And so we were praying while Alec was away at a camp somewhere about telling him when he came home. And so when he returned from this camp, we called Jonas and Alec, just the two of them, into our bedroom. And we wanted to talk to them about this move to Holland. And so I looked at them and I said, guys, we've got something to tell you. And Alec kind of put his hand up like that. And I don't know how this works in your house, but when I were kind of talking to them, for our kids to go, wait a minute, stop, 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 that's not a very respectful thing to do. But he looked at me and said, dad, 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 before you say anything, while I was away at camp last week, God spoke to me in a very special, unmistakable way, and he told me that I needed to prepare for a special move, and he assured me that it was going to be okay. What do you want to tell us? You know, when God gives a special word in a special season, it's for a special reason. And that first year for Alec wasn't easy. But he obeyed. And so when I say, listen, some of the most disconnected, disenfranchised, and difficult Christians to be around are the ones who are waiting for a special word in a special season. I'm not saying that I don't believe that God speaks a special word in a special season. I am saying He does it for a special reason. But what we can't do, what we must not do, is actually live our lives waiting on that special word so that we don't live every day seizing every opportunity in every way. It is the everyday life with God by the Spirit that makes our faith exciting. It is waiting for God to speak a special word in a special reason and doing nothing until He does that leads to disappointment to a disconnection between a person and Jesus Christ. You know, the will of God for all of us is to trust Jesus. That is God's will. Yet trusting Jesus with my life doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gonna seize an opportunity, does it? Our salvation means far more than we're gonna see Jesus when we die. It means, There is a work, Ephesians 2.10, that God has called each and every one of us to do. And what Paul is saying here is, please, folks, don't be foolish. That's written in such a way in the Greek as to emphasize the point that a number of them were being foolish. Why were they being foolish? Waiting for a special revelation when what they needed was to live in obedience to the work of the Spirit every day and in every way. This is a theme of Paul's. Understand what God's will is. And yes, generally speaking, God's will is that we all trust Jesus. But God's will has many expressions in my life and in yours. And so repeatedly, throughout his letters, Paul encourages believers to know what God's will is. And I encourage you, when you read that, to realize on most of the occasions, there is no definite article before the word will. It's not the will of God. It's a will of God for you on an, in the everyday. So Colossians 1.9, we continually ask God, continually ask God to fill you. Notice that, continually ask God to fill you. The filling of the Holy Spirit, as we'll discover in a moment, isn't a one and done thing. It's a continual thing. Oh, I was filled in the whole, with the Holy Spirit back in, you know, the day when I was saved. Well, man, do you live that far away from the Holy Spirit? No, we continually ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Why? With the knowledge of His will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives. When Paul says, look, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of God is. Paul is speaking of a God who works in you and through you and speaks to you through the Holy Spirit and enables you to see an opportunity and to seize an opportunity. Prioritize that kind of life, that kind of obedience, that kind of discernment more than you do the kind of discernment that just seeks God for the big things. One commentator by the name of Snodgrass writes these words Usually, when Christians speak of discerning the will of the Lord, they have in mind God's will regarding major decisions about a spouse or a career. This is not what the text is about. The text is more concerned about God's intent for the way we live every day, about what is pleasing to Him. Perhaps we would not have, and I love this, so much trouble in finding God's will for the important decisions if we were more accustomed to discerning His will throughout life. Do I get an amen to that? That's so true. So many of us have trouble discerning God's will because discerning God's will only refers to where we go to school, who we marry, where we work. Is it any wonder that we find it difficult to discern God's will if that's what we've left it to? There's far more to discerning God's will than that. Again, sometimes God speaks in special ways, in a special word, in a special season, but it still doesn't stop obedience every day. Vipkin and I were living in London. I was 27 years old. We had a small group, three couples, great small group, honest fellowship, really needed that kind of support in that season. Vipkin and I were young, a uh, young family, had young children. I remember in one small group, the guys were praying in one room, the ladies were praying in another room, and as we were praying, John, a friend of mine, who really had mentored me, uh, actually looks at me and says, Craig, through the Spirit, I just sensed God telling me that you will be pastoring a church in America before you were 40. I'd never had any ambition or any intention to move to the States. I was 27 years old, and before I was 40, I was pastoring a church in America, God gave a special word in a special season, but it took a decade to work out. What was I supposed to do? Wait for a decade before I obeyed God's will? No. I was supposed to allow the special word in a special season for a special reason to work its way out in time as I obeyed God each and every day. Folks, what's true for me back then is true for me today. What's true for me is true for each and every one of us. Some of you are thinking, Craig, but I do sense there's this special word that God has for me, this special purpose in life. Well, if if that's true, note this you know that the God has got a special assignment for you if you're a virgin and then suddenly God tells you you're pregnant. Or you're 86, your husband is, what, 99? And you discover that you're gonna have a baby. Or you're riding with your kids on a donkey at the beach and all of a sudden a silly animal turns around and starts talking to you. Or you're on a horse in the country and there's this blinding light, you fall off and all of a sudden the light speaks. Or you're cruising around the Mediterranean on a ship. You fall in and then you're swallowed by a whale and vomited on a different part of the coast. Are you getting the point here? So many times in scriptures, when God had a special word for a special person, it was for a special reason in a special season. And they heard it. Even Jonah, the guy who was swallowed by a whale, or a fish, great fish, actually running in the opposite direction. He heard God, and God did everything to bring him to the point of obeying. Listen, what's true for all of these people is true for you too. If God has a special word for you, you will hear it. Until then, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is for you day by day. Now, the obvious question is, isn't it, how on earth do I do that? Well, let's remind ourselves before answering that question what we've said so far. We need to be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. Why? Because God has opportunities in front of us that he wants us to seize. So we need to understand then what the Lord's will is in these moments that God places in front of us. How am I supposed to do that? The answer is in the next verse. This is how this is possible. Understand what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It is possible for you and I to live responsibly, think responsibly, behave responsibly when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the Lord's will. We are to be full of the things of God. if you were to go home and you were to read Ephesians, you would soon pick up that this word fullness is very important. For us to be the type of people, the light in the world that Paul says we are, we need to be full of the things of God. And so we read this word fullness throughout the book, 123. Christ is the fullness of God who fills what? Everything in every way. Because Christ is the fullness of God, He fills everything in every single way. 319, Christians can know God. God's love and be filled to the fullest measure of God. We can know God's love and be filled to the fullest measure of God. 4.10, Christ went up, and I love this, for the fullness to come down. The reason that Christ ascended was for the Holy Spirit to descend. He goes up. The Spirit comes down. And then for 13, Christians are to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And the fullness of Christ is expressed as we recognize opportunities and seize opportunities. Fullness. And so in Ephesians 4... 18 or 518, we are told, listen, understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is not for you to be drunk on wine. The Lord's will is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are to be filled with wisdom. I wish I had time here to talk to you about the difference of being filled with the Spirit, which brings wisdom, and being filled by the Holy Spirit that actually results in worship and witness but I don't. So let me just say this. I want you to note that Paul does the comparison here between being drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, and being filled with the Holy Spirit because this was an ancient way of describing what happens when God fills a person with His Spirit. Paul writes this, not necessarily because the Ephesians had a problem with alcohol, that's not the point, but because the ancients recognized that when a person is filled with the alcoholic spirit, something happens. Speech changes. If any of you have been around people who have been drunk on the alcoholic spirit, you will notice their speech changes, right? Sometimes it's slurred speech. More often than not, especially in guys, they say things that they really shouldn't or they wish they hadn't. But it's not just speech. It's also walk, their behavior. See, when a person is controlled by the alcoholic spirit, noticeable, discernible, obvious speech and behavior traits follow. So the issue in this comparison with alcohol and the Holy Spirit is not to say that when a person is full quantity of the alcoholic spirit or the Holy Spirit, that's not the comparison. The comparison is the quality of the control. When a person is full, mastered, controlled by the alcoholic spirit, speech changes, walk changes. That's why the police, you know, when someone is drunk, they'll say, walk in a straight line. Why? Because a person is being controlled in their walk through the alcoholic spirit. In the same way, then, Paul says, look, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is for you to seize an opportunity. We say, how are we supposed to do that? Paul says, easy. Be mastered and controlled, filled with the Holy Spirit in every way, every day. That's the point of the comparison. If we are going to make the most of opportunities in 2017, the Bible says we need to be mastered, we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Not on special days, but every day in every way for the glory of God. And you can see that this is the point of the comparison, not the quantity of the Spirit. You may have heard this analogy, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because I leak that's quantity, that's wrong. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you need control. You need God's control because you can't bear fruit without that. That this is the point of the analogy we see from verses 19 through 21. Notice what happens, speech and behavior. A person who's filled with the Holy Spirit speaks differently. Verse 19, A person filled with the Holy Spirit lives a lifestyle of worship. Notice it says, let us sing psalms to one another, songs to one another, not to God, but to one another. The context here is lifestyle worship. Not the gathered worship here, but the worship that happens and typifies the believer's lifestyle away from here. Also, we become more thankful to God. When you woke up this morning, did you pray for those things you lack, or did you thank God for those things you have? Being filled, mastered, controlled by the Holy Spirit means that we actually think more about what we've got than what we haven't. Count your blessings, the psalmist says. Fourthly, here we notice in verse 21 that there is a mutual submission that happens. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't seek to lord it over people. We're willing to submit to one another. So you see, to do God's will, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And this idea of being full of the Spirit has the idea of being controlled or mastered every day and in every way so that our speech changes and our lifestyle changes. So the Holy Spirit fills us with wisdom. The Holy Spirit fills us with wisdom for the purpose of worship. This is the point here. Lifestyle worship. Worship is not something we do when we sing songs. It's a lifestyle of worship. Mission exists because worship does not, John Piper said. But there's something else that the Holy Spirit does. Clearly, when you read the New Testament, the Holy Spirit not only empowers us for a lifestyle of worship, He also empowers us for a lifestyle of witness. We see this especially in the book of Acts. We see the transformation that happens when the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Acts chapter 4 is remarkable. And as you start to read through the book of Acts, you see that this is not just typical of Peter. This is typical of the whole group. when When the Holy Spirit has His people his people start to demonstrate this characteristic of witness. And so in verse 31 of the same chapter, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all went home? No, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So the Holy Spirit fills us with wisdom so that we would know what God's will is. But just because we know God's will doesn't mean that we're controlled to do God's will. And so the Holy Spirit fills us. We are filled by the Holy Spirit to live a lifestyle of worship and a lifestyle of witness. This is is what the Spirit-filled life is for. Wisdom, worship, and witness. Witness. We make the idea of the Spirit-filled life more complicated than it is, don't we? And all too often, pastors in churches won't address this issue because we're afraid of what will happen when you start to talk about the Holy Spirit. In a sense, we try to control what God will do, how people will react. That's not the right thing to do because the bottom line is, The Spirit-filled life, understanding it, isn't that complicated. We make it complicated, but it isn't. Essentially, there are only four commands related to the Spirit-filled life. Only four. For example, we are never told in the Scriptures to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are told that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a natural result of a person coming to follow Jesus Christ. We're never commanded to seek it. But we are commanded to do four things. And conveniently, these four truths, these four commands that we're told to do are broken up into two positive commands and two negative commands. Let's look at the positive commands first. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. And you became a child of God and you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you were given wisdom. And as you live your relationship with God and you commune with Him and He communes with you, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not one and done, but over and over again. Why? For worship and witness. And as you live this way, seeking to make the most of every opportunity, there are two things that you need to do. It's that simple. Firstly, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, please, that it it is actually an exhortation here. In other words, we have a part to play in this. The filling, the control, is God's part. But there are certain things that we do to put ourselves in the position to be controlled. That's why Paul says, be filled. You be filled. Can any of you fill yourself with the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. But can you put yourself in a position to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Oh yes, absolutely yes. So we need to be filled. That's what we need to do. The second thing we're told to do is to walk by means of the Holy Spirit. It's in Galatians, it's in Romans extensively. When it comes to the Spirit-filled life, that's what our calling is. To be filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk by means of the Spirit. It really is that simple. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, a number of things happen. And this is why we need to ask God to fill us. So why do we seek it? Because God's word commands it. Ephesians 5.18. Galatians chapter 5. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because there is no fruit without it. We will not make and take the opportunities without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly. We can't please God without being filled with the Holy Spirit because otherwise all of our works are actually our works and all of our righteousness, God says, is as filthy rags. We can neither grow nor know God if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot live and minister in power. There are so many more that I could talk about, but I hope you're getting the point here that the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that we need to seek. And we seek that filling in order to be fruitful. Fruitfulness in the Scriptures is not success. The church evaluates success by numbers. God evaluates success by maturity of the fruit. There are so many reasons we need to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit in order to walk right before Him. And remember what we said, be careful then how you live. To live actually meant to walk. Live by means of the Holy Spirit. And the idea in the Christian faith then is, this God is so real and so personal, He wants to be with you every step of the way. But is that your experience? Do you take that opportunity? So these are the positive commands. This is what we're commanded to do. But there are two things that we're commanded not to do. The first thing we're commanded not to do is not to grieve the Holy Spirit. As we went through our prayer time today, you may have noticed a number of families that have lost loved ones this week, and they're in mourning. Excuse me, they are grieving. The word grieve here means deep sorrow. Don't cause the Holy Spirit deep sorrow. Why does it say that? Well, it says that because the Holy Spirit, as God, has the same attitude to sin as both the Father and the Son. He can be grieved through the things we say, the things we do, through the attitudes we hold. So the Bible says, listen, When it comes to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit-filled life, to take the most and make the most of every opportunity, don't cause the Holy Spirit deep sorrow. The second negative command, the second thing we're called not to do is not to quench the Holy Spirit. The idea here is that the Holy Spirit is the empowering, controlling, mastering force of your life. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit you hurt him, his mastery and control of you is diminished. Do you see the way they relate here? In order to walk, I need to be filled. In order to be filled, I need to make sure I'm not grieving him because if I'm grieving him, I quench his control. And then I will find myself walking through life, but I will find myself walking through life under my own strength, not under his When we grieve the Spirit of God, loads of things happen. And we grieve the Spirit of God when we doubt Him or we have a divided heart. This divided heart is really interesting. This divided heart and doubt is expressed here in James chapter four in a rather unusual way. In James 4, the expression of a divided heart is portrayed in verses 13 through 17 as a businessman. And this businessman, James says in verse 13, goes through life without inviting God into his business you business folks around here, go home and read these verses. This is the expression of a divided heart. James says, woe to you business people, because you say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city and do this or that. Have you not asked if the Lord wills? We have all the hallmarks here of an incredible plan. The where, the what, the why, And yet God says, as great as your plan is, your plan is nothing but Christian atheism because you do not bring me into your planning. A divided heart. There will not be fruitfulness to take an opportunity if this is the way that businesses are run, God's Word says. You business folks, how do you run your business? Do you invite God into your planning? Or do you just demonstrate that divided heart that is an expression of doubt. Secondly, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we refuse to surrender to Him. When God speaks to us, either directly through the Scriptures or indirectly through, through someone talking to us, or so when there is this unction on the inside, this nudging to do something, and we say, hey, I'm not going to do that, When somebody comes to us, a a friend, a spouse, and says, you know what, your attitude to this person is really wrong, you're holding on to something here. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we just don't surrender. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, what's the consequence? We quench the Holy Spirit. When we quench the Holy Spirit, what's the consequence? We can't walk because we aren't being filled in the same way. Thirdly, when we fail to listen, we ignore Him. Your quiet times, what do they look like? Are your quiet times simply times where, and even your times of prayer, when you just speak to God and you don't give God any time to speak to you? Well, the good thing with that, if you don't give God time to speak, well, you won't exactly grieve Him through this one, will you? But you'll never know the joy that there is, the adventure that there is in the Christian faith If that's the way that you do your quiet times. Fourthly, when you neglect, you pervert, or you dishonor God's Word. Lastly, when we're bitter towards another person. I could keep going with this. There are so many ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Spirit of God, we quench Him. Quenching is that idea of losing the loss of control, of mastery. When that happens, we cannot walk. And when we cannot walk, we are not filled. Folks, the Spirit-filled life is really easy. We focus on the positive, and we don't do the negative. That's it. Some of you are negative people here. I want to encourage you to focus on the positive today. Focus on walking by means of the Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you are so positive that you never take time to listen to anything negative. Balance out your life a little bit here. Just put into practice these four commands of the Holy Spirit. Because you know, if we don't practice walking by means of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, there are so many consequences. Firstly, there's a loss of fellowship with God. I wonder how many of you here can can say that my relationship with God now is stronger than it's ever been before. Or are you just coasting? Or have some of you regressed? On the basis of this message and this teaching, could it be that one of the reasons for this is because you're not doing what God wants you to do? One of the consequences of of not being filled with the Holy Spirit, not walking by the Spirit, is that we lose that sense of intimate fellowship with God. A second consequence is that we experience divine discipline. Look, God loves us too much to leave us where we are. And if we're not walking in close relationship with God, God in a sense says, okay, I'll kind of leave you to your own devices. Let's see how far you get. And in a season like this, the Holy Spirit whispers to us and says, how low do you need to go before you wake up and get it right? One of the consequences of not being filled, empowered, controlled with the Holy Spirit is that we experience divine discipline. Thirdly, there's a loss of testimony that results as a, res- that results as a result of this. We lose our testimony before other people. There's also a loss of rewards, eternal rewards. The scriptures are full of the idea that we will be rewarded on the basis of our obedience. Now, let me say this. The doctrine of rewards is always secondary to the doctrine of grace. We're not rewarded with salvation through obedience, but we are rewarded with crowns. We lose those. I've got no idea what this will look like. And if we all receive these at the same time, man, I thought the graduation of my daughter from high school was a long time, but... But there is this idea of rewards, of crowns, for obedience. When we grieve him, that impacts on the rewards that are received. And then there's a loss of fellowship with other people. Suddenly we notice that our relationship with other believers isn't as strong as it used to be. I hope you're getting the picture here. I hope you're getting the picture of a faith that God has for us that is supposed to be real. That is about far more than what happens in here on a Sunday morning. The one hour in a week, I hope it's encouraging for you, but our faith, your faith, is about so much more than that. Our faith is about what happens outside these walls, not inside it. The reason we come in is to be inspired, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to live like Jesus out there. The effectiveness of a church's ministry is not driven by how many people we sit, but by how many people go in Jesus' name and live like Jesus. And our encouragement to you this year is, listen, live responsibly. God has licensed you to live. Yes, He wants you to live upright before Him. But you are now, if you're a follower of Jesus, a mature follower of Jesus, and that vertical must translate to the horizontal. You have been licensed to live. And in order to do that, God is saying to us today, won't you allow me to fill you with my spirit? Won't you allow me to master you, to control you? so that in any given moment you will be wise, so that in any given moment your worship, what comes out of your mouth and what comes through your hands and your feet will radiate glory and give glory to me. Will you not allow me to fill you so that your witness in the world and your testimony to those who do not know me, and there are 47% even in church city of Holland who have no connection to a local church, and God is saying, won't you allow me to fill you with all the fullness of my Holy Spirit for you to be the light of the world that you are. What's your response to that? I've invited the worship team to sing a song called Fullness. And in that song, the song says, pour it out. Pour it out. And what I want to do, I want to lead us into that song in prayer. And as you listen to these words... I pray that you would respond by saying, Father, here I am. Fill me. Master me. Control me. Help me to be wise with the gift that you have given me. Help me to worship you in word and in deed. And may my witness for you outside of these four walls be glorifying and powerful in your sight. Bow your heads with me. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, your word is true. And your word is power. And Father, we need to be filled with all the power of God to do your your will. And so, Father, we pray right now that as we respond, that you would just fill us. Where there are issues that are grieving you, may we, in the words of 1 John, confess those knowing that you are faithful and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we have dealt with those issues, Father, won't you send your Holy Spirit? Won't you pour it out? Fill us again and again and again. And may we, Father, live no more than a breath away from the anointing of your spirit. Father, we love you, and we just ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to anoint us for our task as light in the Lord in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. People of God, leave this place full of wisdom and filled for a lifestyle of worship and of witness. Go in grace, go in peace. And in the darkness of this world, shine the light of Jesus that is in you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We look forward to worshiping with you again and hearing of the great things God will do through you as you seize those opportunities. Go in grace, go in peace. See you all next week. God bless.